0: Sarah and I prayed as I normally do before I leave to go to work, and I shared what I said. I've got th- I've got this sense that God is going to ask me to speak, and I prayed, kissed her, and as I walked out that day and got to the car, I sensed the Lord saying to me, "Prepare yourself. You're going to be speaking." That same day, I don't know six seven hours later, Pastor Jim sent an email saying, "Would you share the word on April 3rd?" So I guess. God was asking me, and then I'm thinking, Lord, what would you have shared? That's all that matters is what's on God's heart. And he said, share what you're most passionate about. And what I'm most passionate about is pursuing holiness and prayer. And I believe that if we really, really take that seriously, we're going to see revival. I believe with all my heart God wants to revive, revive the churches and revive our families, and he's going to send revival. What is holiness? More than just a destination, holiness is a direction, and it's an image. The direction is being more like Jesus. The image is our hero, Jesus Christ. This must be our passion, the reason for living. We must pursue holiness, becoming more like Jesus with every ounce of our being. The first verse, Russ, is from Romans 8.29. For whom, and and I apologize, guys, a lot of times we come and, for the most part, we go verse by verse. This is more going to be a theme. It's going to be holiness, prayer, and we're going to be talking about a lot of Bible verses, but they're not from one chapter. And I believe what God wants to do more than anything else is he wants to revive us. I need revival. Do you need revival? I need revival. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God's design for us is to make us more and more like Jesus. Why is holiness important? First and foremost, seeking to be holy pleases God. God said, be holy, for I am holy. 1 Thessalonians four seven. if you were here last week, Pastor Jim talked about holiness. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Second, holiness is good for us. God promises to honor those who honor him. We honor him when our heart's cry is to be like him. And third, holiness impacts this fallen, broken world for eternity. So you make it sound it's easy. It's not easy. There's hindrances to a holy life. In 2 Corinthians 7 1, God says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There are so many things that get in the way of living a pure life before God and becoming like Jesus. Idolatry is one of them. In Psalm 115.3, God talks about all the idols. He said they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. And then he says those who make them become like them. Covetousness is idolatry. Another thing that I really was blessed one Sunday when Pastor Jim said, the fruitfulness of repentance, an unrepentant heart, I believe, is idolatry. It's one of the biggest hindrances to living a holy life. I think you and I and everyone in this room can understand the wickedness of our own hearts when God shows it. What do we do? Do we bring it before the cross? Everything has to come back before the cross. We worship the same gods they did. When David wrote this psalm, 700 BC, we look at them, and they worship these little phallic symbols in the groves or these little statues. We wouldn't do that, would we? They worship Molech. Molech was what they used to do to the little infants. They used to put them on these molten statues. And what they used to do is they used to beat the drums so you didn't hear the children screaming. Oh, my gosh, one million babies we abort every year. What's the difference? Mammon, money. We don't worship money, do we? Baal, worship nature. Bacchus, wine. Do you know one out of every 12 people who takes their first drink in America will become an alcoholic? I don't understand why people, social drinking has become a big thing in the church. I don't know why people want to drink. I did enough of that before Jesus saved me. I don't want to go back to immorality and all this other stuff. I just don't understand. Are we trying to fit in with the world to be different? The same issue 700 B.C. as it is today. The heart of the problem is the problem with the heart. There is a traitor in each one of us that we must be so careful. The heart will always make a convert of the mind. We need to beg God. I do this all the time to give me a clean heart. The second slide is from Psalm 5110. Excellent. He says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit, steadfast spirit within me. The word create comes from the Hebrew word bara. It is the exact same word in Hebrews 1, where it said God created the heavens and the earth. And it means create out of nothing, ex nihilo, create out of nothing. We do not need to go to the psychologist and psychologize, turn to alcohol, drugs, or even have a mood ring. We need God to create in us a clean, clean heart. Another thing, you may say, well, I'm not struggling with these things. Well, I think the biggest one that we all struggle with and will take us down real easy is pride. If we think we are doing good and, and not messing with that, pride is always knocking at the door. Praying, we hate pride in our lives. The Bible says by pride comes nothing but strife. Pride, nothing, nothing else comes but strife. Pride goes before destruction. A lot of people say pride goes before a fall. That's not what God says. God says pride goes before destruction. David said, let not, the, let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. When pride comes, then comes shame. Pride will take us out and make us unusable for the kingdom. We may be saved, but pride will prevent the Lord from using our lives. And if necessary, he will put us on the shelf. We need to be very careful when God uses our lives. To never forget, we are the clay, and he is the potter. And everything we ever accomplished for eternity, he did. Two weeks ago, Pastor Neil asked me if I'd share at a, a funeral. It was going to be two separate days, big event, big venues, and I was going to be sharing a funeral, and it was a very, very tragic death. In fact, it wasn't the news. I, I don't need to talk a lot about it. But the point being is I called the family of the one who asked, for somebody up here to do the funeral. And they said, there's only one thing, Louie. And this person was saved, love Jesus. You cannot bring a Bible up. And they're very antagonistic and angry against Christians. So that that was the intro. I only had two days to prepare for the funerals. However, both times there was a supernatural power and boldness that was all him and people's lives were touched and, Lord willing, changed for eternity. It is humbling when you are doing something, but it seems you are the third person. I don't know if you've ever been in that position. But what happens is you're speaking, and you're almost like, it's almost like the twilight zone. I don't know how many people remember being there, Rod Serling. It's almost like you're there, you're speaking, but you know you're not speaking. And I'm excited and anticipated what God's going to say next. It may sound crazy, and I pray if you've never had this experience, I pray you do. When you're sharing with someone, you say, where did that come from? And it comes from God. So it was just such an awesome two days that I just, I was in tears. Friday, Saturday, come Sunday. Come Sunday, I said some hurtful and sinful things against my wife. Hurtful things against my wife. Graciously, she forgave me. And I was explaining to her about being in a zone. Anybody ever play baseball before? I love playing baseball. You know, I had had aspirations to really one day... Play baseball for the rest of my life, but that's how much I loved it. But there were times, I grew up in Jersey City, some real good baseball players came in. Now I was a teenager, so if you threw the ball 85, 90 miles an hour, that's, that's fast. It's even fast today. But you get into this zone, it's hard to explain, where the baseball almost looks like a grapefruit. It looks like a softball, and you feel like you can hit anybody. And that's the way I felt. So I was explaining that to my wife. I said, honey, those two days, I felt like I was in a zone, and I was just I was just a spectator, and God was doing everything. And then she said to me, well, what zone were you in on Sunday? I said I was in the flesh zone. And why do I think this is important? I think that God can use you in a mighty way, and you need to be very careful. You need to be dependent on him after he uses you just as much as before he uses you. Do you know we're more susceptible to an accident on a clear day than a foggy day? Why is that? Because we're more careful and vigilant when it's foggy out. And I just encourage you, we need, the lesson for me is we need to be dependent on the Lord each and every minute of our lives. We can never let our guard down. We must continually guard our hearts. At night, sometimes I reflect, and I talk to the Lord a lot, and I say, Lord, we did good today. And the Lord will say, no, we didn't. I did good. <laughs> and it's that's true, guys. Everything we ever do for eternity, God did. There are no exceptions. We must guard our hearts. Hezekiah, Asa, and Uzziah were good kings. But there's four words that come up with them. And their hearts were lifted up and they fell. Be careful, guys. It can happen to anyone in this room. Our hearts can be lifted up. And we the only antidote, the only antidote to pride is keep going to the cross and see Jesus hanging there. It has been said that for every hundred people who can handle adversity, only one can handle prosperity. In fact, I talk with some young guys in the church here who I love, and you see they got a hunger for God. And I always tell them the one thing that will take you out is, is pride. Stay humble and God will use you. It's not about ability. It's about a heart that loves Jesus more than anything else, and he will use you. The Bible says gold and silver are tested in a red hot furnace, but we are tested by praise. Billy Graham said we are never more like the devil than when we touch the glory. We can so easily succumb to pride, and it is destructive. It only brings strife and contention. Allow godly people in your life to speak truth in your lives, and always, always, always humble yourself before the cross. Pride caused the devil's fall in the garden. I never knew this until recently. The devil was in an unfallen state in the garden when he fell. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, Satan. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. Possibly the biggest problem to a holy life is pride, and I think spiritual pride is on the right at the top. How to deal with pride, we talked about it. Keep going. Keep bringing yourself before the cross. Keep seeing Jesus. Lord, give me a fresh vision of you. What happens when we see Jesus hanging on that cross? You get a fresh vision. It's humbling. It's humbling, isn't it? I weep a lot of times when I think of my wicked heart, and his holy life. In Ezekiel, it says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. Daniel says, There I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my calmliness was turned in me into corruption. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We need a fresh vision of the Lord, and we need it continually. You may say it's hard to live a holy and pure life and want to give up. No, never give up and never stop resisting sin, even to bloodshed. In Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 3, God says, For consider him Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. How bad do you resist sin? How hard do you? We can overcome any temptation, guys. You know about the temptation in the wilderness, right? Luke 4, Matthew 4. Read those carefully. Read the one in Luke very, very carefully. It says that, first of all, that right after Jesus was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit took him in the wilderness. And then the devil tempted him for 40 days. He didn't tempt him after the 40 days. He tempted him all during the 40 days. And then what the Bible says, after he had used every temptation, he waited for him. He tempted him again because he was hungry. You know, it uses the three temptations because it said after he tempted him with every temptation, that's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It says 1 John chapter 2, it's in Genesis 3. He said he left him for an opportune time. In other words, he was coming back. But I believe, think with me for a second. It's in Matthew 4, it's in Luke 4. Who was with Jesus in the wilderness? It's not not a trick question. Who was with Jesus? Nobody, right? The Holy Spirit took him there. How did Matthew and Luke find out? I believe with all my heart what Jesus did when he got together with his disciples. He said, listen, the devil came after me, and he tempted me with every temptation. And he said, this is how I defeated him. I did not defeat him as as God. I defeated him as a spirit-filled man that knew the word of God. So how does that apply to us? That means you and you and you and I can live a holy life and walk pure and overcome temptation by walking in the spirit and knowing the word of God. So important, guys. The Bible said, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But what what the temptation will always make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So if you're you're in bondage now to a sin, just know that God doesn't want you there, and you do not have to stay there. Here's great news, guys. I love this. God is looking for holy men and holy women who will go against the grain of this world and in so much of Christ and so much of Christendom, which really is half hearted Christianity if you ask me, to use to the max and show himself strong. Slide three. I love this verse, guys. This is this is one of my life verses. This is this is as Babylon was coming to take Judah captive. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Think about that for a second, guys. God is saying, I believe what he was saying is, if I, could, if I found a man sold out or a woman sold out, possibly in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon wouldn't have come. So what's the application now in 2019? I believe judgment is looming on our country. I really do. But I believe that God wants to send one great and gathering, and maybe he's calling you or you or you to stand in the gap and make a wall on behalf of the land. For such a time as this, just like with Esther, who knows that you've been called for such a time as this? The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout this whole world looking for a man whose heart is perfect, pure, blameless before him. God is looking. God is looking right now for someone who's going to stand in the gap before him. We must be different guys. We must be infectious and contagious. A compromised Christian will never impact a compromised world. An unbroken Christian will never impact an unbroken world. Are we sold out for Jesus? It will show in our lives. Do people see something different in your lives? Is there a peace? Now think about this. We all got I got to do some heart searching on my own. Is there a peace, a boldness, a confidence, a joy, a power? A supernatural love in our lives that only explanation is God. I like I love to say this. If we can explain it, God didn't do it. Our witness is like the measles. We cannot give it out unless we have it. We can only take people as far as we've gone. I love to disciple young guys. I love to spend time with them because people spend time with me. And I see their hand on their lives, I see God's hand on their lives. But I can only take them as far as I've gone, and I'm going. I'm growing. So we need to continually, continually keep growing. Can people see that you've been with Jesus? We should be in the world, but not of the world. And remember, it is not about our ability. God will use the simplest person that has a a heart, that just loves Jesus and wants to see Jesus glorified. Are we infectious and contagious? Can that be said of us? May our lives have a supernatural effect, effect on others. And if the Lord tarries, and I think about this all the time, may our lives speak long after we are in heaven. The key is getting rid of everything that slows us down, that is sinful and that has the potential of ruining our witness. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I run thus. Not with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Paul beat his body into subjection. He did whatever it took. Here's something that's so important, and everyone I talk to, the guys I talk with, I believe this is so important to our lives, our secret life, our secret life. People who cultivate a holy secret life are the ones whose public life will demonstrate a holy life. Who we are in secret is who we really are, and there are no exceptions. The roots must go down deep, and that is developed when no one else is around, when no one else sees. The healthiest trees are the ones that their roots are well-watered and have a water system. Slide four, Russ. Russ is nodding. Russ even knows what's coming next, right? (laughs) Jeremiah seventeen eight for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters who spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes when the pressures come but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. Psalm one three says he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. They are the ones who are praying when others are sleeping. Precious saints, let us purpose in our hearts to turn this world right side up, and much of that is simply living a life, sold out, consecrated, surrendered to the living God. I love this story. I don't know how many people have ever heard of Adrian Rogers. He was one of mine. Have, I have these guys that are like my heroes, and Adrian Rogers was one of them. There was a recorded conversation between the late Adrian Rogers and Yosef Tisan, who was a revered Romanian, Romanian pastor, and this is how the conversation went. Rogers asked Dr. Dr. for his perception of American Christianity. Tassan's answer is surprising. He said, after some hesitation, he replied, well, Adrian, since you have asked me, I'll tell you, the key word in American Christianity is commitment. And Adrian thought, well, that's good. Dr. San said, no, it's not good. Because whenever a word comes into the culture, a word goes out. So rather than being a positive thing, he saw it as an inadequate replacement of an older Christian teaching. Surrender. Toussaint described the difference. When you make a commitment, you are still in control, no matter how noble the thing you commit to. One can commit to pray, study the Bible, give his money, or to commit to something else. Whatever he chooses, he commits to. But surrender is different. If someone holds a gun and asks you to put up your hands, you're basically surrendering. Americans love commitment because they are still in control. But the key word is surrender. We are to be slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we truly believe Jesus is Savior and King, if we truly believe Jesus could come back today, let us get serious in our walks and lives and have a sense of urgency. Tomorrow is promised to no one, and may we stop playing with the things of this empty, fallen world. Slide 5. Psalm 101, verse 2. I love these verses because when I helped a brother move maybe 20, 25 years ago, he had this on his TV. And I think it's good for us to keep it on our TV, but it's like, I will behave, I will behave wisely in a perfect way, Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And that's a lot of TV. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me, I will not know wickedness. One of my heroes is Daniel. When I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus, cast the crowns that he graciously gave me because of what he allowed me to do. Then I'm going to look for my wife. <laughs> then I'm going to look for Daniel. I love him. You know, at 13, 14 years old, he was taken, 13, 14 years old, he was taken to the idol capital of the world in Babylon. And this is what it says about him when he was 13, 14. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now think with me, 13, 14. Let's move it forward 60 years later. Now Daniel's 73, 74 years old, thereabouts. This is what it said about Daniel. Then this Daniel, this Daniel, distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Daniel walked pure before the Lord the whole time. He's a special character. He really is. If we take care of our character, God will take care of our reputation. Be around people who are sold out for Jesus and allow the Lord and who and who allow the Lord to work through their lives. I was blessed in the early nineteen nineties. The Lord saved me in October of 1988 and we started going to Calvary Chapel Bridge in March of 90. And I was blessed to be around Lloyd. The church, if you've been there, it's a very, very big church now. Only had about 120 people in. And I was able to be around him constantly. Called to serve, meetings, elders meetings, pastors meetings. But I learned more, probably, or just as much. Because I was always asking questions. I'm a sponge, and I encourage you guys who are sponges out here. I'm looking at you guys that are sponges. But I, I learned just as much by watching him. Vision ministry is caught. It's not necessarily taught. And I encourage you, look around this. I, you know, my children call me Captain Obvious. Right? They tell you, Louie, had, you had one thing to do. You see the people around here who God is using, and they're using them because because of the things we're talking about. Watch them. I watch Pastor Jim. Not necessarily what he says, but the life he lives. Watch people. You can learn just by watching and observing people. It has been wisely said that those who make a difference and impact eternity the most are those who allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through them in a greater capacity. Read this very carefully. It is never how much of the Holy Spirit we have, but how much the Holy Spirit has of us. comes back to that word surrender, isn't it? Sense of urgency, guys. Do you believe time is short? Time is short. C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters tells a story of a conversation. It's a legend, but it's this is how it goes. A story of a conversation of the devil having with his buck private demons. Satan and his imps were planning their strategy for attacking the world that's hearing the message of salvation. So basically he's calling them together and says, What's the plan? How am I going to get it? One of the demons said, I've got the plan, master. When I get to earth and take charge of people's thinking, I'll tell them that there's no heaven. The devil responds, ah, they'll never believe that. This book of truth is full of messages about the hope of heaven through through sins forgiven. So he says, no, that's not going to work. On the other side of the room, another says, I've got the plan. I'll tell them there's no hell. The devil says, no good. Jesus, while he was on the earth, took more of hell than heaven. They know in their hearts that their wrong will have to be taken care of in some way. They deserve nothing more than hell. And one brilliant little imp finally says, I got it. Tell him there's no hurry. Satan says, that's it. There's no hurry. I believe one of his favorite words is saying there's no hurry. For the guys who know me, what's the best best kept secret on earth? People are going to hell. That is the best kept secret on, on planet earth. Debt is total in every generation. War, disease, and terrorism do not increase debt. A hundred people are born, a hundred people die. Fifty-five point three million people die every year. 151,600 people die every day, and 6,300 people die each hour. Think about that. And What did Jesus say? Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way. Narrow and difficult is the way that people find eternal life, and few find it. So, you don't have to be a mathematician to figure how many people are going to hell right now during this service. Are we broken the fact that people are going to a Christless eternity? Does it break our hearts? I've been with enough people who are dying as a chaplain, as a pastor, going to hospitals, hospice, when they don't have much time to live. And I'll tell you, it's revealing. When you go to a believer in Christ, and they may not even make it the next five minutes, maybe no time, someone will come, the doctor will come, and they'll, they'll close their eyes shut. And you know what they say? They say, read to me from the Bible. Read to me Revelation 21.1. You can look at this. Turn to the end of the Bible, 21.1. Read it with me. It's the next to last chapter in the Bible. I love to hear the sound of Bibles opening. Up. It's one of my favorite sounds. Revelation 21, verse 1. Think about this. You're reading this to someone who may not live another five minutes. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be, will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I encourage you guys, if you have time, come, come visit with me in the hospital or in the hospice. It's, it really gives you a fresh perspective of life, how frail it is, how brief it is. And it's only eternity matters, guys. My mom was dying in 2005. And my family, Sarah and my family, went down to see her. She was in ICU in Hilton Head. And we didn't think she was going to make it. And when I got back home, she said, she asked me to create cassette tapes. You remember those cassette tapes and those little little cassette tapes? She said, read to me Psalm 23, continual. So I must have read it 20, 30 times, sent the tape down. And they said when they started reading it, her vitals changed. Just hearing the Lord is my shepherd, I shall my want. He makes me lie down on green pastures. What is the point? Live as if this is your last day on earth and about to see his face. We do not have a lot of time to be messing around with the vain, empty things of this world. Only eternity matters. I get a kick when people say I'm middle age. I'm 63 years old. How many people in here know anyone 126 years old? No, middle age, the Bible says 35 to 40 because you live 70, maybe 80 years old. Guys, we don't have a lot of time on this earth. We don't have a lot of time on this earth. We should use it for eternity. Teach us the number of days that we may have a heart of wisdom. If you're old like me, God can still use you. Here's good news. God can still use you in a mighty way and will if you surrender your wills and lives to him. He used George and Susanna Mueller and wants to use you, use us, regardless of our age. When he was 70 years old, when he was 70 years old, his wife Susanna said, George, you've got you've to tell everyone about that the importance of prayer, reading the Bible, and depending on God. So from 70 to 87, he spoke in many places in America. In 17 years, they traveled 200,000 miles, visiting 42 countries, urging people to read their Bibles, pray, and rely on God. That means from 70 to 87, God used him in a mighty way. We have no excuse, guys. Pastor Lloyd spoke here on July 18, 2018 and repeated what he had shared with me from 1990 to 1998. In fact, I got to, as an elder, I got to stand by him a lot. When People used to come up and I'd watch him. A lot of people wanted to talk to him and I'd say, you know, I'm one of the elders, I'll pray with you. But the thing that impressed me, is, listen to the message. It's about prayer. It's from 2 Kings chapter 4, 1-4. It says, empty vessels and bring not just a few. In other words, when we come before God, come empty and ask the God, how great is our God? But the thing that touched my heart is 2018. I got to meet Pastor Lloyd in March of 1990. He spent so much time with me those first six to eight years. He hadn't changed. He was still a simple, humble guy preaching prayer. In fact, I used to look at him and he'd say to me, and I don't know if there was tears in his eyes, he said the prayer room should be the most attended meeting in the church and it's the least attended. Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel out in Costa Mesa, He said something that's funny. He said that the church was probably over 20,000 people, and he said, I should fire the interns and hire the people who cannot get to church because they're either elderly or they heard It's hard in the winter to get out there. They don't drive, but are interceding and praying for the church. I guarantee you a lot of what's going on here, and God is working here, but I think it's just a little speck, a little speck of what he wants to do in Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, and in the church at large. It's the people. I don't know how many people know Mary McCabe, but Mary McCabe used to come here. She's now 94 years old. I get to visit her periodically and pray with her. I believe a lot of what goes on here is what Mary McCabe is doing in her prayer closet. A lot of things what Janet Pradley does at home. A lot of things with Pat Kovacs or Gloria Tesh. I believe so much of what you see is because people that we don't see are praying. Everything that goes on in here is because of prayer, guys. D.L. Moody, true story. After the Chicago fire, he went to London to rest and to learn from the Bible scholars there. He had no intention of preaching. One Sunday morning, he was persuaded to preach in a church in London. Everything about the service dragged. He wished he had never consented to preach. There was a woman in the city who had heard of Mr. Moody's work in America and had been asking God to send him to London. This woman was an invalid. Her sister was present at the church that morning. So when she came home, she told him that we had this guest speaker here. So the woman said, who? And then she said, Mr. Moody. The sick woman turned pale and said, this is an answer to prayer. If I had known that he he would be at our church, I should have eaten nothing this morning, but waited on God in prayer. Leave me alone this afternoon. Do not let anyone come see me. Do not bring any food. All that afternoon, that woman gave herself to prayer. This is a true story. As Mr. Moody preached that night, he soon became conscious that there was a different atmosphere in the church. The powers of an unseen world seemed to fall upon him and his hearers. As he drew to a close, he asked who would accept Christ. Four or five hundred rose to accept Christ. He said, wait, something's wrong. He asked them again. And the same four or five hundred accepted Christ. The power of that one invalid woman praying. Take special notes to the quotes from godly people of the past about prayer. Corey Temboon said, when a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When he stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. When he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. Do we realize there is nothing the devil dreads so much as prayer? His great concern is to keep us from praying. He loves to see people up in their eyes and work, provided we do not pray. He does not fear because we are eager and earnest Bible students, provided we are little in prayer. Jim Cimbala said, the devil is not terribly frightened of our human efforts. Jim Cimbala, the Brooklyn Tabernacle, fresh wind, fresh fresh fire. Mm -hmm. The devil is not terribly frightened of our human efforts and credentials, but he knows his kingdom will be damaged when we begin to lift up our hearts to God. Billy Graham said on Fox News when he was 92 years, uh, in 1992 on Fox News, I believe he was 92 at the time, he said the one regret he had, he wished he had prayed more. Samuel Chadwick, read this, read this up there, said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless study, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil and mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Andrew Barnard said, the prince of the power of the air seems to bend all the force of his attack against the spirit of prayer. R.A. Torrey said, When the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. Charles Spurgeon. It is said that the famous Charles Spurgeon preached to over 10 million people during his 38 years as a pastor. The Prince of Preachers was known as a man fully committed to the need of corporate prayer. In fact, le- legend has it, young, five young college students came to him, and the guy at the door said, You want me to show you around? And they said, Sure. He said, Let me show you the boiler room. It was July. So the kids, the five young kids, said, We're hot already. Why do we want to go to the boiler room? But they said, Just and they acquiesced. So they went to the boiler room, and this is what they saw. He said, this is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Hundreds of people would come before services to pray for God's blessing in this basement prayer room. Spurgeon preached at three services on every Sunday morning, 6,000 people, and during the service, not just before, 500 people were pray. Next one Charles Spurgeon said, you're good, Russ. The prayer meeting must be maintained at all costs. The communion of the church with God must never be broken. Prayer is the engine of the church. It supplies the force. Likewise, Spurgeon saw the prayers of his people as the spiritual power behind his preaching and ministry. Brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place. In the esteem of Christians. Prayer is the single most important thing we will ever do, and the thing the devil will come against more than anything else we will ever do. You don't believe me? Have you ever tried to pray? All the distractions, the iniquity of the heart, the infirmity of the flesh, the ignorance of the mind. He will do everything to keep you from praying. Everything. The one thing, I love this. The one thing, you know the one thing the disciples asked Jesus? They didn't ask him to teach. They didn't ask him to preach. They didn't ask him to say, hey, Teach us to make fish and chips. They ask them to teach us to pray. Desperate times call for desperate prayer. Revival. Holiness prayer leads to revival. I believe, and I believe that's what God wants to do. We need a Holy Ghost revival. A carnal life will not impact this world, and this world is lost, hurting, and broken in need of Jesus, in need of his blood and the cross. The world leaders know what a mess this world is. I don't know if you know this, but Billy Graham, one of Billy Graham's daughters shared this. Every world leader that Billy Graham had the blessing to visit asked them of two things. The second coming of Jesus and Armageddon. They know how tenuous this world is. The world is never going to get better and experience true peace until the Prince of Peace comes back and reigns on this earth. It is going to get worse and worse, which is why we must get on our faces and beg God for an in-gathering a Holy Spirit revival. We are living in special times. We are the only generation, the only generation that has experienced these two things. Israel back in the land, which the Bible anticipated, and weapons of mass destruction, where we can destroy ourselves. The only generation. Guys, we are so close to Jesus coming back. No other generation can do this. In Ezekiel 36 and 37, God says, can these dry bones live? Basically, it was talking about the regathering of the nation of Israel. After 2,000 years, Israel maintained its ethnicity and its original language. In May 14, 1948, David Ben-Gurion publicly pronounced the Israeli Declaration of Independence. In Isaiah 66, 18, it says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made shall be made to give birth in a day, or shall our nation be born at once. Do you know how incredible it is, 2,000 years for a nation to maintain its culture, its ethnicity, its original language, and come back in the land, just like God said it would happen. It's almost like the Seneca Indians coming back with beads and wanting to buy back Manhattan. And that's only 300 years, guys. It is amazing that Israel is back in the land. And I've been to Israel. They are not going anywhere, guys. I don't know where America fits at the end times, but Israel is not going anywhere. And we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I believe we're so close. Ezekiel 36 and 37 talks about the regathering of Israel. 38 and 39 talk about where God is going to bring Rosh, Russia, the prince of Russia, which is the spiritual demonic forces above it, Ethiopia, Libya, Turkey, Iran, into Israel. And God is going to intervene and destroy those nations. And I believe that sets the stage for the, uh, the rebuilding of the Roman Empire and the Antichrist coming to power, the European Economic Union community, if you, if you follow the end times. Why is that so important? I believe it's going, to be, it's going to set the stage for the Antichrist to come, but it's also going to be that we're going to be out of here. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. And right now, I believe we're at a time it's either revival or rapture. Lord, either take us up or come down and send a revival. We are so close, guys. We really are keep your eyes on Jesus and on the nation of Israel over twenty three hundred times in the Bible, the nation of Israel is mentioned in the Bible twice as many times as Jesus and the Messiah. two hundred three times God says, "I am the God of Israel." Pray for our country, pray for our country that our lead is support the nation of Israel. It is so important for the future of our country for you for you phone users. There's this app you can download. It's called Red Alert, and what it is, it's a free app for both iOS and Androids. It provides real-time alerts when missiles or rockets are fired into Israel. Every time that, that goes off, say prophecy, prophecy. God will bless those who bless Israel, and God will curse those who curse Israel, and God has never removed that promise. The church needs a fire and needs a passion. The Welsh Revival of 1903 or 405. The church had cooled, almost like what I see nowadays in the church, and God sent the revival from within the church, and evangelism was a direct result. At the end of a prayer meeting, when they were getting up to go home, the pastor said, Our young brother, Evan Roberts, feels he has a word for you. If you care to wait, many went home, but 17 stayed, and Evan Roberts began delivering like a telegram. I have a message for you from the Lord, and these were the four points. And I believe God is asking us right now, right now. You must confess any known sin and put any wrong done to man right again. The fruitfulness of repentance. Second, you must put away any doubtful habit. Third, you must obey the spirit promptly. And finally, you must confess your faith publicly. Those became the four points of the Welsh Revival. And all 17 responded and the revival was on. A newspaper reporter wrote of a meeting a few days later. When the meeting closed at 4.25 a.m. in the morning, they didn't want to go home. A hundred people were converted, but the social impact was, ast- was astounding. In fact, the bars had to close. The bartenders didn't have a job. And they went and created these quartets and went around singing because people just wanted to live pure before God, and God did such a neat thing in their lives. And here's another thing about a revival. You see, a lot of people get saved. Five years later, 82.5% of the people were still walking with Jesus. We need a holy revival. We need a, we need a revival and a holy fear of the Lord, and Jesus lifted up. Listen to this very carefully. Every revival, the Azusa revival, the, the Jesus revival, the Welsh revival, the Finney revival, The cross was the central, the center of everything. It has to be. When you talk with people, get to the cross. Get to the blood of Jesus. We have lost the fear of God. We are listening to preachers who tickle our ears, just like 2 Timothy says, rather than the gospel and God's pure word. Just listen to it on Sunday mornings, if you don't believe me. People preaching everything about how to feel good, happy thoughts. I don't think Jesus was thinking happy thoughts when he hung on that cross for us. You know what the Bible says? The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Our universe is geocentric. The earth is the center of it. And Israel is the center of the earth. And this little hill, Golgotha, is the center of Israel. God had carved out that hill before the foundation of the world. that he knew he had a plan for us. He was going to send Jesus to die for your sins and my sins. We have lost the fear of God. Husbands, front and center. We need to take the command from God to love our wives sacrificially. We are answerable to God for his daughter. Sarah is his daughter. And our number one disciple on this earth. Do not focus on what our wife does. Focus on loving her sacrificially like Jesus loves us. Wives, front and center. You need to respect and honor your husbands. Wives, you, you will need to answer to God how you submitted and respected your husbands as unto the Lord. We need a holy fear of God because we, do every, because we do everything because of what he did for us, not how we are treated or mistreated by our spouses. You know what the problem with marriages are? It's a lordship issue. It's always a lordship issue. If Jesus is truly Lord of your life, you're not going to have problems doing the commands that Jesus asked you to do for your wife and your husband. God makes promises to individuals, not couples. We need a holy fear of God, and it all starts with God's people. Stop watching the news and the phony preachers and choose the fear of the Lord. We need to stop spending time on Facebook and get our faces in the book. How many people in here right now are wasting so much time on Instagram, Twitter, and everything else? Facebook. Instead of just reading the Bible, getting on our faces and seeking the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Washington is never going to cause a genuine revival. Only God's people will. We need to put away our idols and turn to the living God and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Israel is back in the land, and everything is in place for the end times to begin, just as God tells us in Daniel, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, First and 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy 3 and 4, 2 Peter chapter 2, and Revelation. We must have a sense of urgency for God to pour out his Holy Spirit for one great and gathering of souls before the trumpet blows. I'm going to ask you these questions. Do we truly love people as God does? Do we see people as lost souls that Jesus died for? Do we truly believe there is no one beyond the grace of God? I guarantee you there is. 1988, people thought, I, there's no way. The last person they ever thought would come to Christ was me. There's no one, no one beyond the grace of God. My heartfelt prayer is we would choose the fear of the Lord and put away any doubtful habit, pursue holiness, and pray for a revival. Our lives, our family, our churches, our country needs revival. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Guys, don't look to Washington to send send a revival. If my people, that's you and you and me, who are called by my name, and God asks us four things, we'll humble ourselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from our wicked ways. Now God acts. God says three things he's going to do. Then I will forgive their, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear. I will forgive their sin, and I'll heal, and I'll heal their land. We must get serious how we are living. Humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, and repent. Revival will only happen from his people, his blood-bought sons and daughters. How bad do we want revival? How bad? Alan Redpath said we need blanket victory and get out of bed and seek his face and beg him to send a Holy Ghost revival. Psalm 119, 136 says, Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law." That is signs of revival. When we start weeping over sin, our sin and the sins of others, does it break your heart when you see what's going on? If the Lord tarries, what world are we leaving for our children and grandchildren? We must stand up and beg God for revival. If the only thing we leave our children is something the lawyer lawyer draws up, we failed. A little over seven years ago, I love my kids. I've got four kids, 23 to 33. And it just placed upon my heart to send a simple devotion to them. And I don't even know if they read it but I send it out faithfully I've Been over seven years. Many people in here get it, and it's gone. It's gone all over. But I'm thinking, Lord, you know, if you take me home before them, or if the, Trump, if the Lord tarries, that's what I want them to remember me. You know, it's like that was the heart of a father about his kids. It's not, guys, if the only thing we leave is what a lawyer draws up, we failed. What is the key? A Bible student asked Stephen Alford, what is the key to Christianity, to the Christian, li- the Christian life, Olford responded, bent knees, wet eyes, and a broken heart. That's the key. My mission statement, I work at 80 Pay, and God's doing such a neat thing at 80 Pay. People are getting saved, people are praying, and it's like it's a real neat thing. And God is raising up young people to be part of what God is doing. But you know what my mission statement is? The reason I mention that, companies have corporate have mission statements. This is my mission statement. Every night when I put my head on the pillow, I am a little more like Jesus than when I woke up. Which direction are you headed? Whose image are, you, are we pursuing? Our image or Jesus' image? It's been said the world has yet to see what God will do with, through, for, and in a man who's total, or a woman who's totally consecrated to him. And I don't know if he said this, but I, I always ask that. I said, Lord, I want to be that man. And I think God said, I'm going to hold you to that, Louie. But that's not just for Louie. It's for everyone in this room. What God will do through a man or a woman whose lives are totally consecrated and surrendered to him. Do you want that? Do you want God to use you in such a mighty way? In heaven, this verse, this is a tough verse to really, really think about. In heaven, Revelation. In fact, you can turn that. It's Revelation chapter 5. Turn with me. Revelation chapter 5. Verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand who sat on the throne. What this says in the Greek literally is God is telling us our first sight of Jesus will be as a lamb with the marks of slaughter. Our first, The first time we look at Jesus, is going to be very sobering. The only man-made things in heaven are the nail prints in Jesus' hands and his feet. There's only going to be one handicapped person in heaven, Jesus. He bears the marks of slaughter for you and you and me. Finally, Psalm 85, 6 says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? I ask this question again who truly wants to live holy, pray and beg God for revival? If the Lord tarries, who wants to leave a legacy that will speak long after we are in his presence? I pray somehow that we all would would want to really live a life, a holy, pure life before our Savior. He was not ashamed of us to go to that cross. They ripped out his beard. His back looked like hamburger. He was brutally beaten for you and me. The holy, harmless, sinless, undefiled Son of God took that punishment for you and me. And I want to know, you know what the key to everything, to keep walking with the Lord just like Daniel, is to keep going back to the cross, keep seeing Jesus hanging on that cross for our sins. I need a fresh vision of Jesus. Do you need a fresh vision of Jesus? you need a passion? Do you need a Holy Ghost revival in your own hearts? I do. Let's pray.